<laughs> I'm glad to see y'all. I'm glad we're back. I'm glad to be digging deeper in the Word. It's amazing what the Lord can teach you when you've read something once before, but you read it again and you get something different. We're going to do something just a little bit before we get started tonight. It's been a busy time at my house. Been a lot going on. Have a sick child. Had out of town company, so I've had lots of distractions in in studying. But what I'm going to do tonight, we're going to all be in this together. Okay. So what I'm going to get you to do for me is pray, because if this thing goes down, y'all gonna all go with me. I'm not going by myself. But I don't mind going down with y'all. I got some good friends in this crowd, so. That won't be all bad. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to make it real easy for you. It's going to be short. But I'm going to pray and you repeat after me. Okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you that your presence is here. Thank you that you love us. We love you, Lord. We praise your holy name. Lord, be with Pam. Help her to stay focused. Help her to remember everything she needs to remember. Keep our ears open, our minds open, and our hearts waiting to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. <laughs> Now we're together. Uh, The first thing I want to do is to just give a little overview of the tabernacle of Moses that we studied last time. Do we have a picture of that? Thank you, Kimberly. As you'll remember, the tabernacle of Moses was the portable tabernacle that the Israelites carried through the desert as they were on their journey. The tabernacle, if you look at that picture, you see around the tabernacle are encamped the families of Israel, all around the camp. But where we are now is they are about to cross over into the promised land. And if you'll remember too, this tabernacle was a foreshadowing of Christ to come. Tonight, we're going to get into talking about and learning about the tabernacle of David. How many of y'all knew there was a tabernacle of David until you started hearing about this, about our study? I didn't know much either, to tell you the truth. (laughs) But it's been great to learn about it. And I'm so excited for you and for me of what we're going to learn and what the Lord's going to reveal to us through the tabernacle of David. Now, the tabernacle of Moses... Y'all know how big it was. Y'all know about the furniture. You know what it meant. And you remember that it was a very solemn place. People would come. They would bring their unblemished sacrifice before the priest. And he'd check it out to make sure it was good enough before he sacrificed it on the brazen (laughs) altar. And, but, now that we have the tabernacle of David, it's a whole new ballgame. This piece of furniture that you see up here. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? That is the only piece of furniture in the tabernacle of David. And as the tabernacle of Moses was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, 
This tabernacle of David houses the Ark of the Covenant, which is a foreshadowing of our church today, the new covenant. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. But the first thing I want to do um, is to explain to you that once the Israelites went over into Canaan, it took them about 14 years they settled in Gilgal. It took them about 14 years to, to conquer and to divide and to take over the land. And once they did, they were all scattered about, each tribe going to their own place, their own assignment of land that was coming to them or that was given to them, that they would uh, establish their space, their kingdomhood, or their, um, their kingdomhood. And... Um, I told y'all to pray for me. <laughs> Thank you. So anyway, that's what's going on right now. They have crossed over. They are establishing themselves. They're getting all set up. They're having their homes, and everybody knows where everybody belongs. I mean, remember, too, these were the sons of Jacob. Let's go in our Bible. We're going to look at the genealogy of David, but we're going to do it through the lineage of Jesus. Go to Matthew, the first chapter. I love that song, Lord, I Need You. I hear it in my head. I wish somebody would just sing it. <laughs> Matthew, the first chapter. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, you remember, um, in, let's go down to verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah. Now, you remember Abraham. He was the one that the Lord tested when he told him. He said, Abraham, take your son Isaac. Take him out and go up onto a mountain, make a, an altar, and sacrifice your son to me. And because Abraham was so obedient to the Lord, that's what he did. He took his son out into the area. He went to the top of a mountain, built the altar, and laid his son on it, prepared everything, and laid his son on the altar. And he's, he raised his hand to take his knife and to place it, put it, stab it into the heart of his child. An angel of the Lord stopped him. And he said, no, that is not the sacrifice. I have a sacrifice. There's a sacrifice in the thicket, a lamb, or whatever. I can't remember now what it was. Ram, thank you. I just love that. A ram to sacrifice. But the point here is that Abraham was obedient to what the Lord had called him to do. Now, Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son Jacob, named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. Remember, he was the father of Israel. Well, what we're going to do now is we're going to follow the line of Judah, Jacob's son, Judah. This is the line. This is the lineage of David and Jesus. Move on down to, let's say, verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You remember Rahab? This was the prostitute when the spies came to Jericho. This is Rahab. We got a prostitute in the lineage. I don't know if any of you have ever checked your lineage or what you have in your family, but. So Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. You remember Ruth? Remember Naomi had two sons and a husband, and her husband was killed in war, and so were her sons. 
And so she was left with these two daughter-in-laws. Well, it's a custom of that time that when a man died and his wife was left, then a brother of that man or a family member would take that wife on and care for her and, and help raise her children. But she had no more sons. All she had was these two daughter-in-laws. And at her age, the likelihood of her finding somebody, marrying and having a son and then waiting on him was not very realistic. So she told her daughter, she said, you must go home to your own countries. I can't take care of you. One daughter fled, but not Ruth. She stayed with Naomi. She was devoted to her. And so they traveled to the land of Boaz, and she met Boaz. They fell in love, and they got married. Boaz and Ruth had a son, and his name was Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. You know who that is? Bathsheba. Remember the story about Bathsheba and David? She was married to Uriah. David was up on the, his, when he was a king that particular time, he was up on his rooftop one night, and he was looking out all over the principality, and he sees this woman taking a bath on the top of her roof. And he starts looking at her, and she looked pretty good to him. And being a king and having anything he wants, he decides he wanted her. So he sends for her. She comes, and they have relations. She gets pregnant. She's still married, but he wanted her. So he set up and devised this plan to have her husband sent out into the battlegrounds and to be placed on the front line so that he would be killed this is David he premeditated murder the one the Lord loved a man after God's own heart but we go on down and you can see that so everybody's got the father of somebody everybody goes all the way down and look at number 16 and Jacob here we see Jacob's name again through all these 40 or so generations from the first Jacob, we see his name again. And Jacob, the father of Seth, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. So you've seen the lineage of David. Right in line, Jesus is right in there from the line of Judah. When Saul was king, he was, at the beginning, he was a good king. But then he was disobedient, and he kind of fell from grace. And what happened was the Lord took his hand from upon Saul. The anointing that Saul had had that he was given when he was appointed king by Samuel was lifted. And so this grieved Samuel because he thought, we have no king. Oh, we have a king, but we don't have a holy king. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to um, 1 Samuel 16. First Samuel, the 16th chapter, the first verse. The Lord said to Samuel, 
How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be the king. Skip on down to skip on down to 11. I'll fill you in. So here he goes. Here goes um, Samuel to the area where Jesse lived. And so he made it known that he wanted to see Jesse's sons. So he goes to Jesse's house and he says, I need to see your sons. One of your sons will be anointed and he will be the future king for us. So he goes and he goes to his house and Jesse calls his sons and here they come before him. Each one at the time. There were seven of them. Pick up in verse 10. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? Well, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. And Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. I had to look that word ready up. I kind of thought I knew, but my, my thinking was it was kind of a, a pot face kind of face. I'm thinking, that's not too cute. So I looked it up. It's not a pot face. It's a red face, kind of a red in color. So here I'm seeing David, because they said he was handsome. So I'm seeing this little guy, you know, with the curly hair. If you've ever seen a picture of the statue of David, he's got curly hair. He's got the nose. He has a sharp jaw, very distinct jawline. And so he's handsome. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Now, Saul knew something was different. He knew something was different. And there would be days when he would be disgruntled. And, and depressed and irritated and just all out of sorts. And he was kind of a pain in the fanny to the rest of the folks in the kingdom that had to be around him, uh, armor bearers and, and all his people. And they needed some relief from him. And one of his armor bearers had heard about one of Jesse's sons, David, who was a musician and he could play the harp. And they thought, hmm, we'll get him up here and let him play and he'll, he'll soothe Saul's spirit. So that's what they did. They brought him in. He played, and Saul felt better. This time, Saul had no idea that David had already been anointed to take his place. So from time to time, he would call David, and they'd go through the same ritual. And then David would go back home to his father's house, and he'd go back into the fields, and he would tend the sheep, the smelly nasty sheep and back then y'all a shepherd was about as low on the totem pole as you could get in a job and isn't that just so neat how the lord does that he's going to take the very lowest and he's going to put them to the very highest so anyway david is back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and so then saul decides well he's just going to stay in my house all the time and what happened while he was in saul's house He and Jonathan became very close friends. And the word tells us that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. That's pretty strong. 
I mean, especially for a man, but he did. He loved him as himself. And Jonathan was very wise, and he, and he knew David, and he got to see that David was a great, he was going to be a great man. He was a person of integrity. He was a person of, of favor with the Lord, it was obvious. But he was a great guy. He made good decisions. He didn't do things wrong. He didn't go out on Saturday night and get drunk, come to church on Sunday and things of that nature. He walked the walk. He was a good man. And so Jonathan was convicted about that. And he says, you know, he'd make a much better king than I would. This is who needs to succeed my father. How selfless that was. So what he did, he gave David all his royal things. He gave him his robe. He gave him his sword. He gave him his spear. He gave him his belt. The things that he had that were from a royal family that a rich kid would have, he had, and he willingly gave them to David. Now, Saul has no knowledge of this, but David knew and Jonathan knew. While David was in Saul's care, in his army, in his home, he at times would go to battle with the other guys in the army. And they began to, to just be killing them left and right. And it seemed as though everywhere David went, good things followed him. The anointing of the Lord was on him. And let me tell you something about the anointing of the Lord. When the Lord anoints you, when his hand of anointing comes over you, there is power in that and there is responsibility. Even though he was a shepherd boy and somewhat of a bearer, somewhat of a fighter, he had the power and he had the anointing of the father. But Saul began to become jealous of David. He was jealous of the relationship with Jonathan. He was jealous of the success that he was having on the battlefield. He was just jealous, jealous, jealous. Pride, envy, hate, resentment, all that was just welling up in Saul till he just had enough. And he said, I'm getting rid of this kid. We're going to kill him. We're going to get him out of the way. So he comes up with this little scheme as to how he was going to kill David. Well, Jonathan got wind of it. And so he went to David. He told him, he said, man, you got to get out of here. Dad's real mad. He's out to kill you. So you got to go. So he did. He fled and he ran. And he would go to this area and he'd stay for a while. He'd go to this town. He'd stay for a while. Always on the run, always fleeing, always hiding, trying to escape the hand of Saul. One day... When David was hiding in a cave, Saul and his army came up. And the word says, Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. That's so nicely put. He had the TT. So he relieved himself. And he was so close. He had no idea that David was hiding in that cave, scrunched behind some rock or something. And as Saul came by him, and as far as his, he was standing while he was relieving himself, David takes his knife and he cuts a piece of the robe. He could have killed him, but he didn't do it. And you know why he didn't do it? Because he was the Lord's anointing at one time. The Lord chose him. He was not going to shed his blood. So as Saul leaves, he goes out of the cave. David comes after him and he says, hey, you've been chasing me. I love you. I don't know why. But we've got to stop this. Saul was convicted on that. The anointing of the Lord didn't come back on Saul, but he kind of backed off of David. 
when David would go into battle, he would prepare himself. He was close to the Lord. He was always seeking the Lord, his guidance, his instruction, his favor. The relationship was close, kind of like you are with your best friend. You know how y'all are. You just depend on each other, trust each other. That's how David and the Lord were. They were close. You know, in life, we all face battles, bad situations, dealing with things that are hard to deal with. Maybe it's a bad marriage. Maybe it's prescription drugs. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you have a sick child. Maybe you've lost a parent. Maybe you've lost a child. Whatever the situation is, it's a battle and it's a struggle. And what do you do? How do you deal with that? How how do you fight that? How do you get through that? I'll tell you what I do. I got a bunch of friends. Not a bunch of I do have a bunch of friends. But not a bunch of friends that I can pick up the phone and call and say, hey, I'm dealing, with the, I'm dealing with something. They don't always have to hear the details. They don't really care about the details. You call them, you say, hey, I need some prayer. Pray for this and pray for that. Sometimes I just say, I need some prayer. And I know I can depend on them. I have some friends that if I call it, they go, you're weird. But that's okay. I have some that don't care that I'm weird. And they'll pray for me when I'm dealing with a situation. i tell you another thing that I do when I'm battling in a situation, I go to the Word, and I listen to my praise and worship music, and I pray. In um, 2003, my daddy was diagnosed with cancer, but before he was diagnosed, we noticed he was looking bad. My daddy was kind of built like me. He was a little on the short side, and he was round. He loved to eat. He had a restaurant when we were growing up, and he was a great cook. And Daddy started losing weight, and he just started not looking good. And he was losing weight kind of fast, and I'd say, Daddy, are you on a diet? I just couldn't imagine how he had never even heard the word come out of his mouth. I said, what's with you? You're losing weight. He said, I look good, don't I? I said, yeah, Daddy, you look good. I said, but, you know, that's just kind of weird, you know, that, that you would be losing weight. I said, maybe we need to get you checked up. No, I'm, I'm fine, daughter, nothing to worry about. But I was worried. And as he progressed, degressed at a rapid rate, I got very scared and I got very concerned. I said, we're going to the doctor. So my sweet husband makes the arrangements and here we go to the doctor. Well, they took some x-rays and they didn't really see anything at that time. But I knew in my spirit there was something wrong with him and that it was bad. And so I was afraid. So what did I do? I went to my little study and I grabbed my Bible. I said, Lord, you got to give me something. You got to give me something. This is going to be bad. I can feel it in my spirit. And I don't know what to do, but you got to give me something. What's going to happen to him? He was a young man. What's going to happen to him? So as I'm thrumming through my Bible, I come across Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and I know many of you know that scripture. It says, 
For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I was like, thank you, Lord. Daddy's going to prosper. Daddy's going to have a future. There's hope, no harm. I was okay. That was good. Because you see, in my family, when you're a nurse and you're married to a physician, everybody looks to you. And I have a large family. I have friends in here that know that. I have a large family, lots of siblings. There are six of us. I'm the oldest girl, so I'm the boss. (laughs) And they know me well. Your family knows you well. They can tell when you're faking it. They can tell when you're lying. They can tell when you're mad. They can tell. No matter what this looks like, they can tell. But you see, I didn't want them to see my fear. Because if I was afraid, then they were going to be afraid. They were going to be real afraid because being afraid is not something that's of my nature. So I had to really work at that. So the Lord gave me relief because I knew the Lord had plans for him and it was not going to be bad because he told me he was going to give him a future and there was hope to have. So I was okay. Well, we rocked on along and Daddy continued to lose weight. So we go back. We have another x-ray. Boom. There it was. On his lungs. I fell apart. Not out here, but in my spirit. I was afraid. I was afraid, and I needed help. And I couldn't go to my siblings. I really couldn't go to my friends because my friends are not used to me being in that kind of position. And I didn't want them to worry. But I needed help, so I go back to my little study, and I grab my Bible, and I'm thumbing through, and I come to Isaiah 41, 13. And the Lord says to me, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand, and I say to you, do not fear, because I will help you. There we go again. Thank you, Lord. I don't have to be afraid. The Lord's going to help me. He's got my back. I was good to go again. Time truck's on. Daddy has to have radiation. He has to have chemotherapy. And if any of you have been touched by cancer in some way, you you have some knowledge of what that looks like. He got sicker. He looked worse. The weight of the responsibility that I was feeling, I'd get weak and weary, and I needed a safe place to go, some place that I could go to let down so that the Lord could renew me and give me new strength. I go back to my Bible, and he gives me Psalms 46.1. I am your refuge and ever-present help in trouble. I am your strength. That's what I needed. Speaking in my ear, the Lord was saying to me, I am your refuge and I am your strength and I am your help. I am your ever-present help when you're in trouble. Good, he's still with me. I'm going to truck along. That gave me more. I could keep the right face on. I could have the right words to say. I could, I could minister to my brothers and sisters who were oftentimes shaking in their boots because Daddy's looking bad. Sister, you sure he's going to be okay? He don't look so good. Daddy's really skinny and Daddy's not eating and Daddy's color is bad. You sure he's okay? He's going to be okay. Because you see the Lord 
He told me so. And I was standing on that. One day at the cancer center, he fainted. I saw him going down. I didn't want him to hit the floor because I was afraid he'd bump his head. He didn't need to deal with that. So I grabbed him, you know. I just eased him down. He laid him down. After a few minutes, he popped, you know, he came right back to me. He was okay. And we got him in a wheelchair and we took him home. But it shook me to my core. You can imagine. Some of you may have been in that same situation. But to see him crumble like that and to be so weak, it scared me. And uh, uh, here I go again, back to my den. You have to understand, this is over a period of months that the Lord would come to my rescue with his word. So here I go back to my little study. I get in my chair and I grab my Bible and I say, Lord, I need more. What you got for me? I knew he'd have something for me because he had every time. So I knew he would. So here I go. He gives me Psalms thirty-seven twenty-four. Though you may stumble, you will not fall. For the Lord upholds with his hands. I took that as he had used my hands to hold my daddy. Before he fell. But that gave me strength. I was renewed. I was ready to go again. Being anxious. It came back. He kept looking worse. I kept being afraid. Couldn't wear it at all. Had to be strong. But I was anxious and I needed some peace because the peace was not in here. Fear kind of do that to you sometimes, you know. Kind of takes your peace away. Takes your joy too. Takes all those good things. But I needed some help and I needed some peace. Because if I didn't have it in here, I was not going to be able to project it out there. Normally, fine, but not with all this. Not with my friend, my young daddy. And he was more like a friend. He was 19 years old when I was born. We grew up together. We got speeding tickets together. <laughs> We'd call each other. How many points you got on your record? Getting close, daddy. Yeah, me too. Don't tell your granddaddy. No, I won't. You don't either. That's, kinda, that's the kind of bond we had. He was the kind of guy that we had no secrets. I don't care what I did. I, you know, we all do things not supposed to do. Not right. But... He always had my back. I could tell him. I could say, you know, I, Dad, I messed up. You're going to hear about it. What'd you do, daughter? I'd tell him. He'd say, well, did you learn from it? Yeah. He'd say, well, then don't do it again. Whew. That's the kind of guy he was. He wasn't going to browbeat you. He wasn't going to scream and holler at you the kind of way I do my children when they do wrong things. He wasn't like that at all. So it was killing me to see him deteriorate. I didn't want to lose him, but I needed some peace. So I go back to my little study. I go back to the word, and I'm waiting because I know the Lord's going to give me something. True to his word, he did. That Jeremiah 33, 3 text, I just love it. Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. So I knew he would give me something, and he did. He gave me John 16, 33. 
And it says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but you take heart. I've overcome the world. That's good, Lord, because if you can overcome the world, I know you got this in the bag. I was renewed again. I had my peace back. I was ready to go. But he continued to deteriorate. He had to, went to Birmingham after he finished his chemotherapy and radiation. He had to have surgery. They went in to take the tumor out. They couldn't take it out. It was so attached to the lung that every time they tried to pull away, it would just bleed, 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 bleed. So they decided, well, we're just going to leave it. He's had lots of chemo and radiation, and that thing is burned. It won't, it, it's fine. He'll be good. And they told me that. It's good for me. But before we got to that point, I was impatient. I wanted him well. I wanted, I wanted to be told he was going to live. It didn't matter that that cancer was still in his body. I was standing on the promises of the word. I love that old song, Standing on the Promises. They sing that a lot in the Baptist church. But I was standing on his promises. I was becoming impatient, though, because I wanted him well. So I go back to my chair in my little study, and I grab my Bible. And he gives me Psalms twenty-seven, fourteen, And it says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. He's told me twice. Take heart. Take heart. Have faith in me. I love you. I'm true to my word. Just take heart. I was hard to do, y'all. When I was seeing with my earthly eyes, it was hard. But I knew that I could stand on this word. He got better. Went into remission. And we had him for seven more years. It was great. Because I, you learn to appreciate when you almost lose somebody. You learn to appreciate everything that you do with them. Our fun was even better fun, you know. It was great. It was a, it was a gift, a true gift from the Lord. So David, he himself would gear up for battle. When you go to battle, when you're in a situation and you feel all alone, or you don't have the answers, you go to your closet, you go to your place, and you grab the word, and you let the Lord minister to you and let him do what he can do, what he says he'll do. Oftentimes we go to the Lord and we pray and we ask for answers, thinking we're going to get what we want like it's a wish list. He says yes sometimes, he says no sometimes, and he says wait. But the challenge for us is to have faith. And to wait on the Lord. Whatever he, hand, whatever he gives us, he'll teach us and he'll show us and he'll be there for us and help us handle whatever it is. He won't give us more than we can bear. As much as you think you can't, trust me, you can. Because he's your helper. So back to David. So now David is in Saul's house 
and he's doing all these things. And he goes out one day to the fields, and the battle is between the Philistines and the Israelites, kind of like the Hatfields and McCoys. They're always fighting about something. So this big old Philistine giant comes out. He's nine feet tall, and he's telling them, send me somebody to fight. And he wants to. So everybody's just shaking in the boots. Mm, what are we going to do? So David steps out, and he says, I got this. Because you see, David had been trained for a day such as this, all those years in the fields, taking care of the sheep, protecting the sheep from the wolves and the whatever's out there that will get them. He'd gotten real good with that slingshot. He could hit the target. So he runs out, and this big old Philistine giant, he's standing there. He's got all his armor on, you know, that big old heavy thing that goes around here. Got the helmet, got the belt. He's got his sword. He's got his sheath. He's got all that kind of stuff. And he's and he looks down at that little peep squeak of a boy, and I'm sure he laughs. David says, "You come to me and all that. Let me tell you what I got. I have the Lord behind me. I've got the strength of the Lord behind me." And he grabs his slingshot. And he grabs his stone. Boom! Hits him. Boom! Right in the eye. Falls over. He rushes over to him and takes his sword and shoop, chops off his head. Everybody's happy. David's looking real good. He's real strong. David did many things in his life. He did many good things. He loved the Lord a lot. He followed him. He loved him. He worshiped him. He prayed to him. He sang. He did all of that. During this time when Saul was king, he was in the battle one day, he and Jonathan. Well, Jonathan lost his life. Saul lost his life. He kind of took the easy way out. He fell on his own sword. Kind of silly way to die when you're supposed to be a big old strong warrior. He just, that was the end of him. But what happened then, it opened up for David to be able to come forth more. So the men of Judah come to David. Remember Judah? He comes to David and he says, the men of Judah, they come and say, we, we want you to be the king of the house of Judah. So you got the house of Saul, you got the house of Judah. He said, we want you to be the king of Judah. So the men anointed him and he was king of Judah. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, it's been taken, and it's in Shiloh. The whole thing is right there. But what they started doing was they would take the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord, with them out to battle, and they would be successful, and that was a good thing. But the Philistines were real jealous of that gold box with the angels on top and the power that it had, so they stole it. They defeated the Israelites, and they took the Ark of the Covenant. And they thought they really had a good lucky charm piece with them, but it didn't quite work out that way. It was just the opposite. Bad things started happening to them. They were losing battles. And they realized this is not a good thing. So after about seven months, they packed up that gold box with the angels on top, 
And they gathered some nice gifts. They took it back to them. They went across the way and they said, here, we're going to give this back to you. It's, it's, you need it. It's your star. We took it. And here's some little presents to, so you'll forgive us. A little peace offering. But you know what happened? Once it was back with the Israelites, once David was in charge and he was the king, the presence of the Lord was stronger than ever. David could not fight a battle that he couldn't win every time. And his army became stronger and stronger and stronger. And the house of Saul's army became weaker and weaker and weaker. And so finally the the elders of Israel, they came to David one day unbeknownst to Saul's son, who was king at the time, Ishbosheth, And he said, look, we're not doing so good over here. Our team's losing. We want you to be king over all of Israel. We want you to be our king. So what they did, they anointed him. This is the third time David had been anointed. And remember, with anointing comes power and responsibility. The greater the anointing, the more power, the more responsibility. So now after three times, there's a lot of power in there, but there's also a lot of responsibility. They had all these tribes, all these millions of people, and David was ruler of all. So at this time, David trucks back to Jerusalem. He's going to... That's where the seat was. That's where he was going to live. So they left the tabernacle, though, in Shiloh because it really had been destroyed by the Philistines. There was really nothing left, but they still had the Ark of the Covenant. So they take the Ark of the Covenant, and they're on their way. They go to Jerusalem. He takes it, and they place it on the Mount of Zion, and that is where the tabernacle of David got its name. It's not that big monstrosity of a tabernacle of Moses was not that solemn place that the tabernacle of Moses was. It was a place of joy. It was a place of praise. It was a place of worship. It was a place of dancing. It was a place to go to the Lord and worship him and praise him for who he was and for what he had done for all of them. It was a happy place. Like I said in the beginning, the tabernacle of Moses was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. The tabernacle of David was a foreshadowing of the new church. The tabernacle of David was a foreshadowing of this church, of what was intended church to be. Now, I know some people think this is kind of freaky, you know. I love to watch Lana worship. She is all about it. She will dance, she will sing, she will shout, she will praise his name, she'll call on him. She loves to worship. But she can't dance. (laughs) She can dance, but she has no rhythm, but it's okay. We're going to have a contest. And David... He just loved the Lord, and he would just go crazy. He would be so excited. He came through the streets of Jerusalem one day after they had, you know, been in a battle, and he's just acting a fool, and he takes off his clothes. He leaves his little ephod on, and he's just jerking around and dancing and just doing all this crazy stuff. And, oh, my gosh, his wife sees him. She was the daughter of Saul. She was appalled. 
She chewed him out when he got inside. What do you mean acting like that? You're so undignified. And he's like, hmm, if you think that's undignified, when I go before my Lord to praise him, I hope I can get even more undignified than that. If that shows my love for him and my praise for him, so be it. She was really put off, though. David had served his time in battle, won a lot of wars and all that, paid his dues. He was just going to kind of sit around the home front now and let everybody else go out to war and fight. But, you know, he got a little bored. My grandmother used to say, idle hands are a devil's footwork. Don't be idle. He'll snare you. He got snared. That's when this whole thing of Bathsheba came about. Now remember, David was a man after God's own heart. David did some bad things. He wasn't the best parent in the world either. One of his daughters was raped by one of his sons. And you know what he did about that? He just kind of turned his head. Don't make a fuss out of that. You'll be okay. You'll get over it. Of course, she was just scarred for life. She was just all blemished up. But he didn't handle that like a parent should handle it. That's not the way you would handle it. I know you wouldn't handle it that way. But he just kind of... So as great a man as he was, and as much as he loved the Lord, David screwed up. Everybody in this room has sinned, probably today. But you know what? The Lord loves you anyway. It's kind of like your children. They mess up. Oh, my gosh, they mess up. Especially when they get to be teenagers and they have a mind of their own and they think they're smart. They mess up. You just want to pinch their little heads off sometimes. But you know what? You still love them. There's nothing that your child can do to separate that love that you have for him. I don't care how angry you get. I don't care what they do. Nothing that child can do to keep you from loving them. The Lord's the same way. No matter what you do, he's going to always love you. He may turn and walk away from you for a little while till you kind of get some sense back into your head again. But he never stops loving you. And he never stopped loving David. You know, there were certain men in the Bible that he kind of had little things he'd say about them. With Enoch, he pleased God. That's what God said. He pleased me. And you remember John, the disciple? The one that Jesus said, the one I love? And then there's David, a man after God's own heart. Loved, loved, loved. The love they exchanged just couldn't get any higher. But he messed up, and the Lord forgave him. You mess up, and the Lord forgives you. When I was a kid, I messed up. My daddy forgave me. He was real quick to forgive you. He was so sweet. He was so great. But you know what? The Lord gave me a gift. 
It was a great gift, one of the greatest gifts I've ever given. And when he gave it to me, I said, oh, man, Lord, that is so sweet of you. I know you love me. And you, the God, the, the biggest God, the Father, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, you took time out of your busy day with all the things that are going around in the world, and you're going to give little old me something, a gift? Not only just a gift, it was a great gift. I said, thank you, Lord, for giving that to me. And he let me waller in that for a little while, and let my head get big, all that. And he said, it's not just for you. When the Lord gives you something, when he gives you a great gift, believe you me, it's not just for you. You got to pass it on. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's you're a great baker and you can bake cookies, go bake cookies and give them to somebody else. If you got a lot of money, share it with somebody else. Whatever you've got that's good that God gives you, you got to share it. So I want to share this letter that I got from the Lord. I was sitting in my little study again, and I journal. I don't know if you ladies do, but I'm a journaler, if that's a word. Is that a word, honey? Okay, good. I'm a journaler. Well, I sit down one day to journal. I get my, my journal out. I realize I'm at the end of this journal. So I jump up, and I get me another journal. And I, I like to start a new journal. You know, it's kind of like being the the beginning of school where all your stuff is fresh and it's new and all that. I, I thought, oh, good, I'm get me a new journal. So I grab a journal. I go to sit down. Then I got to thinking about my old journal and all that year long of scripture that the Lord had given me. And I thought, you know, that was so sweet of him. I don't want to ever forget the things that he said to me. So I thought, hmm, I'm going to write them all down. So I get back up and I grab my old journal and I sit down and I start flipping through it. Where is that one? that he gave me. Oh, there it is. I wrote it down right in the front of my new journal. I'm going to start the year off great. Right in front of my new journal. I go flipping through. Oh, there's the other one. I wrote it down. I wrote every one of those scriptures down that the Lord had given me. And as I sat there looking at it, I looked over it, and I saw the, the words on the page. I started reading down. I thought, hmm, this is weird. So I read it out loud with all those scriptures in the order that the Lord had given me. I started reading. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. For I'm the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I'll help you. I'm your refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Though you may stumble, you will not fall, for the Lord upholds you with his hand. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but you take heart because I've overcome this world. Now you wait and you take heart and you wait for the Lord. Tears. I was overwhelmed that this big God, the creator of the universe, the creator of creation, the creator of all of us, wrote me a letter. 
I'm going to share this letter with you tonight. There are copies back there, and I want you to take them. And I want you to receive it from the Lord. The next time you're struggling, the next time you're battling, you go to this letter that the Lord wrote to you. You let it minister to you, be a comfort to you, a guide, whatever you need, but you let him do that for you. He loves you no matter what you do. He wants your life to be good. He wants it to be full. He wants you to have all that you want. He wants you to love him, though. He wants you to walk with him, and he wants you to be his servant. He wants you to help him enlarge his kingdom. That's such a churchy word, but it's the truth. And if you don't have a group of friends or a friend that you can call on when you're in trouble to say, hey, pray for me, find yourself one. Because you can't do it by yourself. You got to have him, and you got to have something in the physical to grab hold of, too. Something you kind of put your eyes on. So be a David. Be a man after a woman after God's own heart. Is that not just the greatest thing for the Lord one day when you get to heaven and he sees you and he said, Man, girl, you are a woman after my own heart. I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad you're here with us. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for your word. We thank you for David. We thank you for his heart, Lord Jesus. And I pray tonight that every woman in here, Lord, will seek to be a woman after your own heart. I don't know the needs of these ladies, Lord, but you do. I pray that they will speak to you tonight about those things that they need to speak to you about. And I pray, Lord, that they hear from you. I pray, Lord, that they know that you are with them, that you will never leave them, and that you will never forsake them. And I thank you, Lord, that you stand on your promises and you're good at your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you never leave us empty-handed, that when we come to you, Lord, you give us something. I thank you, Lord, for this church and everything that you're doing in it and through it. I pray when these ladies leave here tonight, Lord, I know they're tired. They've been at work and they've had things to do. And I pray that when they put their head on their pillows, Lord, that you'll give them your peace and that they'll have rest tonight. And when they wake up in the morning, they'll be renewed with your strength. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to this place. The fact that we're here, Lord, is no coincidence I thank you that you had a word for us Lord Jesus and I thank you that ears heard it and hearts were open to it I pray too Lord that we'll become more sensitive to your nudgings I pray Lord that we'll start looking at people in the eyes differently that we'll start looking for people that we need to give a smile to that we need to give them a pat or a hug I pray Lord that we can grow more and more in your likeness 
so that we can serve people and draw people closer to you. I thank you for every family that's represented here tonight. I thank you for every child that's represented here tonight in this family, Lord. And I pray for convictions too, Lord. Anything that that anybody may need convicted of, and you're so much better at doing it than we humans are. So we thank you for your love, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you're there for us. And I pray all this in your holy son's name. Amen.